You know, I love my calling as a pastor. But there is one thing that I dislike about having the role that I have. And that is that as soon as people find out that I am a pastor, then they immediately change the way they act around me, right? Or the way they talk around me. The conversation just immediately shifts as soon as they find out what I do for a living. So therefore, I always hesitate to answer because I know the normal shock and horror that follows when I answer that question. I mean, they freak out, right? So most of the times when I say I'm a pastor, then they immediately start to apologize. I am so sorry that I said that word, right? I'm so sorry that I acted that way in front of you. And uh, it, they just completely changed the way they act around me, and it's, it's, it's really weird. So several weeks ago, I was serving at Blue Valley High School. I serve at Tiger Paws, uh, what they have over there at the high school. It's a time when students have an hour to take their lunch anywhere in the building and sit and hang out or do homework or meet with a teacher, any of those types of opportunities. And my role is to be, you know, the, the hall monitor, right? I get to watch a door and make sure that no kids try to sneak out or come in. All right, and so that's kind of my role there at Tiger Paws. And I take this opportunity not only to build relationships with some of the students, but then also use it to build relationships with some of the teachers. And I had started, you know, building this relationship. I try to get the same area every time this teacher comes by. And, and that certain Friday, I was wearing shorts. And he came up to me and goes, man, you get to wear shorts to work? And I said, well, sometimes when the boss is away, right? And, and I said, well, you know, no, the offices are closed on Friday, so, so I really don't work on Fridays. And he said, oh, that must be nice, but you, you work in 12-hour shifts. And I said, well, yeah, sometimes, you know, I work 12-hour shifts. And, 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 and I said, well, really, I, I, we work on Sundays. And he's like, oh, Okay, so you work on Sunday, so you get Fridays off. Well, all right. And then I, was, I should have just said, well, have a good day, you know, and walked away. But then he said, what do you do? And I had to answer, because you have to tell the truth, you're a pastor, right? So I said, I'm a pastor at Blue Valley Baptist Church. And what came out of his mouth next? Oh, man. I am so sorry that I've said some of the things I've said around you, right? I, I'm sorry. I need to really watch what I say around you and what I do. And normally, I would just respond in such a way of saying, you know, man, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You know, I'm, I'm human and, and all that kind of stuff. But for whatever reason, what came out of my mouth caused an awkward moment. Because this time, instead of just saying, no, nah, don't worry about it, I said, I appreciate it, but you're not accountable to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, I appreciate it, but you're not accountable to me, if you know what I mean. Right? And I kind of did this. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me, and it was awkward. <laughs> and then he was like, all right, well, have a good day. <laughs> um, but it was an awkward moment, but the statement is truth. The statement, I hope, is a statement that he will remember 
or that will stick and that he will recognize, wow, I'm not accountable to anybody except for the one and only God. And in this section of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, uh, Paul is going to show really the whole world who they are accountable to. See, because the whole world is accountable to God. And the judgment ultimately is going to come from God. And this morning, I hope that we see that God's judgment is faithful and fair. Some of the hardest questions that the world asks of God is, is God faithful and is God fair? And hopefully we'll be able to see that this morning as we dive into his word. So if you've got a copy of God's perfect word this morning, go ahead and open it and let's stand together and honor the reading of his word by reading Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Paul writes, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if someone were unfaith- what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our right uh, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That, the, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. May God be honored by the reading of his word. Y'all may be seated. So what Paul is doing now is he's, he's acting as a skillful teacher, creating a hypothetical picture of someone interrupting his teaching with objections, as we saw all of those questions that we read. So he is answering his imaginary objector's questions which we're going to look at in three parts. So we're going, to, we're going to kind of divide these questions up into three parts. Now, I want us to remember that we are following chapter 2 and what all has been said there. Remember, Paul has stated that the, the Jews are not guaranteed entrance into the kingdom of God just because of their possession of the law or the fact that they are God's chosen people demonstrated through circumcision. And Paul now anticipates the response of his readers. And he begins to ask the questions that he knows that they are asking. So based on the previous chapter, Paul then asks, so what's the advantage? What's the advantage of being a Jew? So if Paul were writing this letter to us today, to the church today, he might have asked, what's the advantage of church membership? or baptism, or participation in communion, those practices that do not guarantee salvation, but that many people place their confidence in, and their confidence hoping that they guarantee salvation. So just because we practice 
religious things or are a member of a church, that doesn't mean that we are safe from eternal separation from God. How do we know this to be true? Well, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8, where Jesus is quoting Isaiah, saying that people honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Or they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. But just like the Jewish believers in Rome that we're reading about here in the book of Romans, putting their hope in the law and some outward display of the covenant doesn't guarantee eternal life. Neither does making just a verbal confession of faith guarantee eternal life. Because remember, it's what's on the inside. It's what's happening in your heart that determines redemption. And that's where we have come from. So now let's get back to Paul's question. Paul's question is, what is the advantage of the Jew? Since Paul downplayed circumcision and downplayed the covenant, we would expect him to say what? We would expect him to say there's no advantage. There is no advantage whatsoever. But instead, Paul says what? He says much in every way. So what's the advantage? Look at verse 2. He says to begin with, or first, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. There are many advantages to being a Jew, but the main one, the first one, is that the Jews were given the oracles of God. They were given the word of God, and there is no greater advantage than to have the word of God because the power of God is found in the word of God. The power of God is found in his words. The power is not in preaching. The power is not in programs. The power is not in Sunday morning services. No, the power is in the word of God. The word that cuts through our minds and our hardened hearts. It can pierce our souls and bring us to Christ. This is why it's so important for me and my wife, Jamie, to make sure that our kids are in church as much as possible because I want them to be in the presence of the word of God. I want them to hear God's word being read. I want them to hear God's word being preached and taught and prayed and sung and memorized. God's word is the most important part of anything we do here at Blue Valley because in it is the power of God. So Paul says, yes, yes, there is advantage in being a Jew and that advantage is found in the possession of the word of God. So he continues with a second question in verse three. He says, what if some were unfaithful? Does that nullify the faithfulness of God? In other words, is God's judgment on the Jews' faithlessness, does that not make God faithless also? After all, it was God who promised to be faithful to Abraham's descendants. Is God not now being unfaithful? And Paul is outraged by this thought. He says, by no means... How can anyone suggest God being unfaithful? See, Paul covers this topic more in Romans 9, so I can't get very deep into it. But basically, 
The lack of the Jews' faithfulness does not make God unfaithful. Paul rejects the idea that for God to be faithful, he must accept Israel whether they are right or wrong, whether they do good or they do bad. And we're going to get more into that in Romans chapter 11. But Paul is so disgusted by this thought that he makes this statement in verse 4. He says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. If every human being who ever lived declared that God is faithless, God would be found true. And if every man who testified against him would be found a liar, God is true. He is faithful. And no one can stand against him. So Paul continues to write. And he continues to write, but he quotes Psalm 51. He says, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. See, Paul hits deep here. He hits deep here because he's pointing to the Jews' greatest king, and that is King David. This is the psalm that King David uh, composed after he was confronted by Nathan in, uh, for his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. In David's analysis of his own sin before God, listen to what David says to God. He says, God, you're right, and you're blameless in your judgment. Because of your words, your covenant, your promises declared that you would judge, and you are right to do so. And that is a sign of God's faithfulness. He is faithful to his words. God does what he says he will do. Now the fourth, or third and fourth questions, we're going to kind of lump up into one section. So verses five through eight, Paul is asking the question, are we doing God a favor by sinning? Are we doing God a favor by sinning? And he points out two examples. He says, are we doing God a favor by sinning in unrighteousness? And are we doing God favor in sinning by lying? So let's look at the first one where he asks, if by committing an act of unrighteousness, God's righteousness shines, then how is it right for God to be angry with me? Now the answer comes with verse five. He says, is, God's un- is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Paul answers back. He says, by no means. Or absolutely not. The idea that unrighteous conduct could serve a good purpose of enhancing God's righteous character is strictly a human argument. You see the parentheses there? What does he say? I, he says, I speak in a human way. Reasoning in this way required then a denial of the basic truth that the Jews believed. That God will judge the world in perfect righteousness. Follow in verse 6. He says, for then how could God judge the world? If this is your argument, then God would be an unrighteous judge. And that cannot be. So he continues on in uh, verse 7. And he asks this second question. If lying makes God's truth look glorious, then why am I still condemned for it? This is lying for the purpose of magnifying God's truthfulness. And God is not pleased 
when you lie. He is not grateful that you lied to magnify his truthfulness. And this will be the cry of Judas on the day of judgment. Imagine with me, Judas asking God, why are you picking on me? The best thing that ever happened to the world was the crucifixion of Jesus. And if it were not for me, you would, not, you would have no atonement, no one to pay for their sins. You should be thanking me, God, that I fulfilled the scriptures and delivered him into the hands of the Gentiles. And this is Paul's argument. Attempting to show God's glory by sinning is outrageous and can never be justified. And we're going to get into that more in chapter 6. But Paul ends this section of scripture that we are looking at this morning with an accusation against the gospel that he was sharing. See, people had been slanderously saying that he was throwing out the law. That he was encouraging others to get rid of the Old Testament. And they, they were saying that he was teaching, do evil that good may come. And that is not his gospel. See, Paul never entertained the idea that the ends justify the means. Those who take his teaching and twist it, Paul states, their condemnation is just. Or in other words, Punishment is deserved. So there are two questions that I want us to dive into and ask in this text. And I believe these questions are questions that every human being on the face of the earth have probably asked at some point. And these two questions are all of these questions kind of combined into what Paul is asking us in this text. And hopefully teaching his readers in this text. The first question is this, and these are tough questions. These are not easy ones to answer or easy ones to understand. But the first one is this, is God's judgment faithful? Is God's judgment faithful? The Jews and even Christ followers today would answer this question by simply saying, of course, God is faithful. God is a faithful God. We all love to follow a faithful God. He is faithful to give us our strength. He is faithful to provide our, our needs. He is faithful to answer our prayers. We love quoting Philippians 4.19, which says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. But hear me out. We struggle with God's faithfulness. When his faithfulness is against us. Right? We struggle with God's faithfulness when his faithfulness is against us. What did Paul say was the advantage of being a Jew? It's because they had the oracles of God. Well, we're in the same place. We're in the same place. We have the word of God. Our problem is just like many of the Jews of Jesus' day, where he states in John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
See, we tend to come to God's word and search for a better life. How do I live a better life? God, please tell me through your word. Thinking that our better life is found in being a better me. Or we approach God's word searching for promises and God's blessings. And like the Jews, if God doesn't supply all my wants, not just my needs, but we go to him and say, God, provide this want according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, then we accuse God of being unfaithful. We accuse God of being unfaithful when he doesn't provide our wants. But God is faithful, and he will be faithful to his word and what he says about himself. Listen to Psalm 119, 89 through 90. It says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens, and your faithfulness endures to all generations. So let's make sure we hear this this morning. God is faithful in the good. God is also faithful to the things that we do not like. No preacher in the history of the world has spoken more ominously about the certainty of the wrath of God than Jesus. See, God will not hold back his wrath forever. Every person is going to have to face the judgment of God. How do we know this? His word says it. His word says it. We can no longer treat God's word like a self-help book or even like a manual to life because we all know what we do with owner's manuals. You open the box, you pull it out, and you go, nice, you put it in a drawer. Seven years down the road, you pull that out and you go, we don't even own that vacuum anymore. And you throw it away. Or you're like me, or most men in this room. You open the box, you throw the manual to the side, and you say, I can figure it out on my own. And then you wonder why there's several parts still left out on the ground when you're done, right? No, God has been faithful to give us everything that we need to know about him in his word. And he will also be faithful in who he is, the never-changing, always true, one and only sovereign God. So is God faithful? Yes. Yes, he is faithful in his judgment because he's true to his word. The second question is this, is God's judgment fair? Is God's judgment fair? Paul gives us a warning in verse 8. He says, and why, and why not do evil that good may come as some slanderously charge us with saying? Their condemnation is just. This is a warning to people who want to play games with God's word or come up with wild philosophical objections to hide the, uh, to hide the reality of God's holiness. See, this question is similar to the previous question. We want to follow a fair God as long as his fairness is favorable to me. When I start thinking that God is not fair to me, then I don't like God's fairness, right? God is fair because he is holy. God is unbiased, honest, and just. He treats no one wrongly. So because of his holiness, he cannot accept things that are contrary to his nature, which is sin. 
anything that goes against who he is, and that is sin. And if you've been in church for any period of time and started memorizing scripture, we all know that what? That we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we are all worthy of eternal death and separation from God. See, the world says that the God of Christianity is not fair. We always hear this. If, if God is a loving God, then why does he send people to hell? That's just not fair. Or the question, is it fair for a temporary sin to deserve eternal punishment? Does the punishment of hell fit the crime? It's not uncommon to wrestle with these questions. It's really not. I mean, there is no more difficult topic in the Bible than the topic or subject of hell. And it's a topic that should bother us and we should wrestle with and think on deeply. But the reason we question God's love and doubt and question God's goodness when it comes to hell is because we have too small of a view of God. We have too small of a view of God. Hell is an eternal punishment. Hell and an eternal punishment tells us that God is infinitely holy and infinitely worthy. See, when our view of God grows, then our understanding of sin also grows. I like to draw it out this way. Draw a line that goes up and attach a line here, a line that goes down. As my understanding of God grows and I recognize who he is, I also recognize my depravity and my sin and how much that separates me from God. Well, if you draw a cross to fill in the blank, the more you get to know God and the more you understand your sin, the bigger that cross becomes. And the more we recognize our need, our desperate need for the cross of Jesus Christ. See, sin is more than a mistake or a bad habit. Sin is the single most offensive and horrific thing that we could ever do. Sin against another person is bad. But sin against God, a holy God who is worthy of all glory and eternity is different. This is why hell exists. And it's why it's completely fair right now for God to rip the roof off of this building and throw each of us there for eternity. It's fair. A lot of times when people come to me and say, man, God isn't fair. And I say, I, say, I, don't, I don't know if you understand what you're saying. If you want God to be fair, that's, that's a hard task. But God is going to be fair. And he's going to be true to his word. But here's the good news. There is great news. Because God is not only faithful and fair in his judgments, but he is also fair and faithful in his love. 
See, God is faithful in his love to the whole world, even as we have sinned against him. In his faithfulness, he sent his son Jesus to die and to take our place, to pay for our sin. In God's faithfulness, he raised him up from the dead. In God's faithfulness, God will save anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, turns from their sins, and trusts Jesus with their life. See, even though we continue to sin and fall short of the glory of God, as believers, God is faithful to hold on to us and to never let us go. God is also fair in his love. See, God was fair to punish sin and deal with evil, but instead of punishing us for our sin, he gave that punishment to his son. And God was fair that he didn't leave Jesus in the grave, but raised him up from the dead for our justification. And God is fair to save all who put their faith in Jesus. So let's end with this. Because God is faithful and fair in his judgment, how should we respond? How should we respond? Because God is fair and faithful in his judgment, how should we respond? If anything, it should drive us more in love with his truth and with his word because that's where he tells us all about himself. It should drive us to understand him more. Not to look for what are ways that this book is going to help me, but what are ways that I can grow in the knowledge of him. So it should drive us to the truth and to desire to know Jesus more and more each and every day. And then as believers, those of you who have already put your faith in Jesus Christ, the knowledge that God is faithful in his judgment and fair in his judgment should have us desperately seeking those who do not know him and sharing the gospel of truth with them. They might reject it, and that's not okay, but it's not your fault. But you continue to share because you know the truth. You know the word. You know the answers. So what's the advantage? You have it in your hands. You have it in your pocket on your phone. Let's share it. Let's make sure people know the truth of God's judgment, his faithfulness in it, his fairness in it, and the answer that we have to be freed from it. Let's pray.